0: and I'll be reading from the ESV translation. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures, concerning his son, who is descended from David Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your faith, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. I'm under an obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you, also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from our faith, for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to diso- uh, to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is the reading of God's word.
1: To uh to pray together before we begin. Father, I thank you, Lord, for all of your word. Thank you, God, for our fellow pastors in Canada that are standing firm on your word, that are standing boldly and speaking forth the truth, and speaking forth the truth in love. We we add our prayers to their prayers this morning. And Lord, we pray, God, that that you'd use our prayers and that you'd use the preaching of the truth to turn back the tide of evil, to push back on the powers in the heavenly realms that are driving men mad with evil desires and decisions and foolishness. God help us, I pray, through the name of Jesus. Amen. Here's one of the statements that that came uh, from just a notification and a call to prayer uh, from Canada, and for those that uh, here in America that are agreeing with them, that and we agree, Luke and I agree with this statement that there is one God and Lord over His church, and that Christ alone gets to both define marriage and dictate what is required in the pulpit. We we cannot. Uh, um, go very far in, in calling what is true and right about our sexual conduct and sexuality without uh, bringing forth the biblical purpose and God's plan for marriage. They're, they're, uh, to, they're so, so much intertwined. And so along with confusion about sexuality today, and the whole transgender movement and everything that's related with that and the the political power that has been achieved and gained uh, by homosexuals and lesbians that that it also brings with it an assault on the biblical definition of marriage and so the two things are together and so I have questions for us to consider today uh, as we process these things and as we discuss them after. And um, our questions will be what will happen to any nation that has their freedom of religion taken away? And how far should the church go to defend freedom of religion? And three, why? has the so-called progressive church gained so much traction in North America? Here's a quote from uh, President Ronald Reagan. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, handed on for them to do the same or one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in the United States where men were free. I attended a meeting that of pastors, some time ago, as we were headed into this whole uh, COVID thing and, and and things that were being applied and implied because of it and through it, and and uh, uh, there were several leaders with on this conference call or this Zoom call, and they were addressing uh, pastors uh, in in various strategic places around the United States and calling them to pray and calling them to to take a stand for religious freedom. Uh, Attorney General Bill Barr on this uh, conference uh, just clearly laid it out to us as pastors. If we, if you, lose your religious freedom, all your freedoms will fall. All of our freedoms, in other words, are hinged on this and connected to this. And uh, so we pray, we continue to pray, we will continue in this prayer. So God's plan and purpose for marriage we'll review this and and uh, Luke has already laid this out very clearly in our in uh, our discussion in Genesis. But before I do that, I, I just want to make some statements about our sexuality. That if indeed you are a man or a boy, it is by God's perfect will and design. And if indeed you are a woman, female, girl, then it is by God's perfect plan and design. And you were fearfully and wonderfully made in your mother's womb. And He deter- determined your sexuality. And it is no one's right to deter that or to change that. And it's not your right to go against the will of God. And so in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So here we see clearly the layout, the plan of God from the beginning, that he created man and woman in his image, for this purpose that they would be fruitful and multiply, and have dominion over all the earth. whatever has been lost through the fall, we've regained through Christ. And so now we are men and women called to be his representatives here, exercising his kingdom rule wherever we live. And that means to uphold his word in our households, in our families, in our churches, in our communities, to stand for what is true and right and good. So why? I'd like to see the affirmation in the New Testament before I, before I go on and... God's affirmation in Ephesians of marriage, one man, one woman, for life, this is marriage. This is God's plan for marriage, his purpose, and his desire, and his will, his perfect will. And we, we speak about these things because there's so much confusion, there's so many things being said, and so many decisions being made that are contrary to this. But in I'll pick up in chapter 5 of Ephesians in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way... And I am saying that it refers to the church in Christ. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The principle of love and respect in marriage. And here again, one man joined to one woman for life, for as long as you live. This is God's perfect plan, his perfect will for marriage and his purpose in it. And anything that deviates from that is wrong, and it it is sinful, and we need to stand on that. Um, Let me... Let me um, just talk a bit, okay, why we believe the Bible to be the final authority in what is right, what is good, and what is true. Why we believe the Bible to be the final authority, the only authority in what is right, what is true, and what is good. In 2 Timothy we read 2 Timothy 3:16 says very clearly to us, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All scripture, every word, every word is true. Every word has been clearly directed by God. The prophets and men of old spoke and become the spokesmen for God, and they wrote what the Holy Spirit directed them. Therefore, this leaves no wiggle room for anyone to pick and choose what parts we should believe and obey. No wiggle room. It is all true. Every word has all been set before, before us by God himself for this purpose that we should Read it, listen to it preached, listen to it taught, believe it, and walk in it in obedience. This is his plan for our lives. And when we do, we simply find that life works better. That we function as we're designed to function. And that we're able to carry out our purpose as God has planned. Deviate from it, and it's just a downhill s- slide. And also in Second Peter, we see, we see. In Second Peter, chapter one, we see this same idea being presented. And beginning in verse 16, I'll read through verse 21. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all that no prophecy of Scripture ever or No prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. These words were directed by the Holy Spirit himself. And they not only were spoken as spiritual words, living words, but they must re- be received as spiritual words through, and to, to even begin to understand them, we must have the gift of the Holy Spirit within us to respond, and, to, uh, and it is him who both teaches us and reminds us of these words and enables us To obey them and to fulfill them and to walk in them and to love them, to love the directives of God. I've, uh, when my wife and I, when Tommy and I were going through some missionary training, at the conclusion of the training sessions, uh, we were encouraged by one of the leaders to write down this confession if we felt it and believed it in our heart, to remind ourselves of something. And I would encourage you to the same end, to to take note of just these simple truths and and to take time to write it down somewhere and refer to it. I declare this word, is true completely that God is always right. I know that I know that I know that my God is always absolutely right in all his ways and all that he says. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Praise be to God. Glory to his name. So then whatever God says about our person and our sexuality is absolutely true. And anything that deviates from it or disagrees or is pol- and oftentimes polar opposite is just simply wrong. Back. I'm not going to reread Romans that uh, Colt has read to us, but how how did the parliament in Canada come to that conclusion? And how have our lawmakers and our politicians come to so many godless decisions and conclusions and attempting to make laws even worse How do they get there? Well, we see clearly in Romans. This is how we got there. And I'm, I'm not going to reread it, but to just look at these ideas. how do we get here? It says, by unrighteousness of men who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. What happens then? Their foolish hearts are darkened. What happens then? They exchange the truth about God for a lie what happens then? God gave them up to dishonorable passions. What happens then? God gave them up to a debased mind to do what not, ought not be done. And they also conclude by practicing such things and give approval to those who practice them. Ungodly lifestyles a downhill road. Well, every nation, our nation, the nation of Canada, needs to take note of historically what has happened through time when a prosperous and powerful nation begins to decay and crumble in their uh, morality, in their sexual morality as they deviate from what is right and true and good. Every one of them has collapsed. Every one of them has what imploded is is a form of self-destruction. America is on the road of destroying itself. And but for God, it will be destroyed. But for people coming to repentance and turning their hearts to God again, it will not continue in this way. It'll either, we will either have a mighty, powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit and a surge of conversions to Christ and of obedience again in the church or our nation is lost as a nation. And so, become passionate about your prayers. How do we fight? How does the church fight? On our knees. Our discussion, uh, in our discussion time last week, the, just the um, idea of fasting came up. And I'm reminded that, that Daniel, how he fasted and prayed, and what God did in response to that. And so that's one of the things that the church can do, along with our praises, our worship, and our preaching of the word, and our walking in obedience, and encouraging others along that way, we can fast and pray. And I think that this is a season to consider that as a congregation, is to appoint a day or a time, or whatever that might look to us like collectively, and to pray for religious freedom in America. Pray for God to turn it around. Pray for God to expose lies and liars and demonic activity that has been going on for way too long. Demonic control, to, to see it pushed back. So Paul's purpose for writing this letter in Romans was to bring about the obedience of faith, to bring about the obedience of faith, and that's what all his writings are about, really. To be converted to Christ, but what is what is the call and the mandate from Jesus himself? Not that we should just see people converted and turn to Christ, but that they should. Be disciples. We're about the business of making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to encourage one another to follow hard after Jesus, not from a distance. And and this is a time when it's uh, all the more... Necessary for we the church to be all the more sober and serious about our repentance and about our renunciation of the world and of entanglements and, and of evil thoughts and all kinds of things, attitudes of heart so that we might be the more effectively used by God to help others to freedom. There are blessings and warnings clearly laid out in the scripture. I'd like to read 1 first, first Corinthians, 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 6, and verses, uh, I'm going to read verses 9 through 20. beginning in verse nine of chapter six. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is an important reminder for all of us. And uh, an important reminder of me personally when when I have to agree that such as these, so were some of us. So was I. Now, you may not have lived long enough to have become bound up in bondage to many sins and sinful activities, or you may have been in a more Protected in a more Christian environment than I grew up in, but you need to say this: that even if you have have uh, don't see anything on this list that personally you've ever been really involved with or entangled or in bondage to, you need to say to yourself, "But for Christ, I would have been there just as bad as any of them." We need to agree with that. We need to see our propensity for sin, even if we've not been mastered by it or been in bondage to it. And so thanks be to God that he sets the captives free. In Galatians, I'll read the rest of this too, about sexual immorality. The heading is, flee sexual immorality. Why? Paul goes through, beginning in verse 12, says, All things are lawful to me, but not all things are helpful, and all things are lawful to me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written... For you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. Praise be to God. The bare word of God. A a comment uh, by a a Bible commentator that, that I've read often the bare word of God, the the word of God plus nothing. So oftentimes the word of God so, so clearly presents itself, what it means and what it's saying that any attempt to try to explain it might only just muddy it up. This is the word of God. Such people will not inherit the kingdom of God. What does that mean? What is that? that implication? Is that they will be eternally separated from God in a desperate and horrible state that no one wants to be in. Now, you've probably heard hell spoken of as a terrible, horrifying place, and all of that's true. But think of this. What is even more horrifying is the experience of being eternally severed from the life-giving, loving God and yet eternally alive yet ever eternally dying and hoping to end existence but never being able to achieve it. What a horrible state. What a horrible state of mind, of the whole person, of the whole soul. What misery. I've said before that it hardly depends, it hardly matters the horror of the place. It's the horror of the condition that will be so profoundly terrible, you won't have much time, the person won't have much time to worry about where they're at. But no one has to end there, no one has to be there. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's why we preach the gospel. That's why we go in the same attitude of Christ. And beg of people everywhere, please turn away from sin and turn to Christ and be saved. And be delivered from a horrible existence without God. In Galatians chapter 5. Verses 16 through 26. But I say, walk in the spirit. Paul says this, I agree with him. He's calling the Galatians. I'm calling us collectively together, first of all. I speak to my own self before any others. Walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of a flesh are against the spirit Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step. Stay in step with Jesus. In 2 Timothy, now it comes back to something that, that uh, Luke has, has already presented in, in some measure. But I'd like to, in just, in just this comment, is, and I want to make it clear that we as a church, and I'm not calling you as, as people or as individuals or families, to have a hard and hateful heart towards people who are caught up in confusion about their sexuality. Not to have a hardened heart towards people who are practicing homosexuals or lesbians, but to but to see them uh, as confused souls who desperately need to know Jesus, who desperately need somebody to love on them, who desperately need to hear somebody say and connect with them in another way than just simply telling them, if you don't turn away from that, you're going to hell. You need to have, you need to be able to identify with them and and walk along with them in such a way to have an influence in their life and to speak to them. I remember uh, a teacher making a presentation and, and very thoroughly just explaining what was wrong with homosexuality. Having a person from the audience respond to him and say to him, that's the first time I ever heard anybody try to explain what's wrong with it. I've only heard Christians say, you're just going to hell if you practice that. And and not, never bothered to go into any detail as to why it's wrong what God's purpose in our sexuality is and what's his perfect will and purpose and plan. So how are we supposed to steer people into the truth about our sexuality? And uh, again, you are fearfully and wonderfully made and uh, and um, I completely um, oppose something that happened within Christianity uh, uh, perhaps a couple hundred years and longer ago that some within the Puritan circles uh, presented uh, sexual intimacy even in marriage as something sinful, something wrong, that it wasn't something to be enjoyed and desired or show expression and show desire for, and that is false. Uh, Sexual intimacy in marriage is a beautiful, wonderful thing that has been designed purposely by God to be so, and and it carries with it more than, more than having children. It is a way of connecting closely in a bond of mind and soul and spirit with your spouse in intimacy and receiving comfort through it. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing. It's intended to be wonderful and beauty, beautiful. It is the world and Satan that has distorted it into all kinds of false expressions that will never fulfill God's purpose nor will it ever fulfill and truly totally satisfy the person. That's why you see people becoming consumed with partner after partner and engagement after engagement and whatever it might lead to is because it can only be deeply and truly a rich blessing and satisfying in the fullest measure within the boundaries of God's design of marriage. And then, it is a beautiful and wonderful thing. Outside of that, it is sin. And so how do we, how do we speak the truth in love? We have a good example here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. second Timothy chapter 2 verse, verses twenty through twenty six. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleansen, cleanses himself, From what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passion, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not quarrel, be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Either the Lord Jesus Christ is our Lord, our Master, and we acknowledge him as, as such. We confess him openly and freely. Or, the devil is your master whether you know it or not. If you think you're your own master, the master of your own destiny, that no one rules over you, you're you're sadly mistaken. And all people outside of Christ, and all of us before Christ in our experience, were ruled and mastered by the devil. There are two kingdoms the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light. And you're determined by your choice as God gives you the opportunity and extends his grace as to which kingdom you're part of. By your acceptance and receiving of the truth of the gospel and receiving Jesus in your heart or rejecting It's as simple but yet as profound as that, because it has profound consequences. It's the most important decision you shall ever make in your life, and second to that is whom you choose to marry. Because the marriage relationship is the only one that is even close to comparable with Christ and the church because now two people joined together in marriage are one new person. They're one in the Lord. Not two independent individuals but one person. And it's a mystery and it's profound but it's beautiful and it's wonderful and it's a good desire for a man to desire a wife and for a woman to desire a husband and to raise a family because it's God's plan. And so, in conclusion, let's take a look at the book of John. And chapter 8. John 8, 31 through 36. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth sets you free. And they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever the sun remains forever, so if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. No matter what sinful bondage, no matter what a person has been entangled with, and no matter how many things have gone wrong and they've done wrong, if they simply surrender to Christ, the truth will set them free. And if the sun sets them free, they are free indeed. This is how Jesus brought me to a place of conversion. He first set me free. And when he set me free, I said to him, Lord Jesus, I see you are who you say you are. You can do what you say you can do. I want to follow you the rest of my life. Jesus sets captives free. We need to not give up hope on anyone, no matter how desperate their situation or how many times they've said no or how many barriers and layers of resistance you see all over them. Christ is able to break in and help them break out into freedom. Praise be to God. Father, I thank you, Lord, for... Jesus, the living Christ, the living word. Thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your holy word that is living and active. It is powerful and it transforms us. Thank you, Lord, for the washing of the water of the word. And I pray, God, that you would continue to wash us, continue to cleanse and purify your bride, that we might be ready for your appearing and eagerly waiting to that end through Jesus' name. Amen.